everyone, and welcome to Minute 102 of Season 3 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee-ki-yay our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action film Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Dana Nachman, the award-winning uh, documentary director who has some great films that everyone should go and, and try and watch. You know, you can you can find on, on IMDb, not just her links to the episodes of this show that she's been on, but you'll find there all the the other movies that she's, uh, you know, been the producer of, director of, and so you look shocked. You didn't know that you're on IMDb for for uh, being on this show, are you? Did you? I didn't. <laughs> Am I really? Yes, you are. Really? Yes, you are. Look at that. Sure. I did not know that. Well, not everyone goes to their IMDb page every day to, to check what, what's been updated there. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe you do. I don't I know. Actually, I was just actually on it the other day, though, because my agent had changed um, and I realized it wasn't updated. So I was on it. I just didn't notice. Aha. Uh-huh. There you go. <laughs> well, when, when, when these shows come out, so you'll have a few more, you know. But uh, you you have at least I know that I did the the episodes from Plain Shares Automobiles. I'm trying to remember if I've done the backlog from Great Escape Pit. But if not, it'll be there soon. You know, they <laughs> will be there. So people who want you on their podcasts will be able to find you by seeing that you know that you've been on podcasts uh, on IMDb. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes. All right. So episode 102 begins with Al having a somber look. And ends with Hans uh, getting religious on everybody. So basically, yesterday we ended things. Uh, you know, Al told John his uh, uh, story about the traumatic experience that he had years earlier when he accidentally shot a kid. You know, he had an accident. Uh, which, which once again bring, brings up the fact that I've brought this up so many times. You know, this is a party line. He's he's opening himself up very emotionally and very vulnerable. Uh, vulnerable vulnerably vulnerable he, he makes himself very vulnerable <laughs> by by the by the way that he's just telling this whole story like you know it would be one thing if it was just a phone conversation between him and john but you know anyone who wants to anyone who's listening to the to this particular channel can hear this story you know thornberg's gonna you know uh, put it up on uh the news you know Trump had, cop had you know, traumatic experience and refuses to 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 use his gun, you know. You know, I don't know if you've talked about this um yet in other episodes, but you know, often even though things are public, um people after a while forget. Like I know in my work, uh, you know, we're shooting um, you know, people start off very self conscious about the camera, but then after like a certain amount of time, people forget even that the camera's there, even if they see it. And I think the same would be for a party line. Um, you know, like any kind of hot mic mishap that you've ever heard about, uh, people know they're mic'd, but they still, you know, reveal things. And so um, I think that that could be the case here. They've been on this line for a long time. They're, they stop being conscientious about it, you know, at some point. Okay. It could be. It could be. But, but it's just, you know... For me, it's just very funny because, you know, a few weeks ago, you know, Hans interrupts a conversation by saying touching cowboy touching, you know, because he's listening. He was listening in on the conversation, you know, between John and Al at the time. And, you know, as the movie goes on, we're going to hear even more uh, vulnerabilities from from the characters, 
you know, when, when John thinks that he's not going to make it out and stuff like that, you know, the way that he will talk and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, again, it's, it's a ploy in the movie. The, the whole idea of the radio in the, is a ploy in the movie to give us information. You know, it's not really there just to give, you know, John information about Al and Al information about John. It's to, to let the audience feel this bond between the two of them getting stronger and stronger because they're revealing so much to one another. Right. But I think to me, it's plausible that they've, it's their only way of communicating. So they don't have a choice and they're in such a dire situation that they have to get kind of real and intimate, you know, um, it just, it lends itself to that. So I, you know, I buy it. Right. I I definitely buy it. Okay. So at this point, uh, John responds to Al's uh, story by saying, sorry, man. And Al responds, hey, man, how could you know? John, then John mm-hmm. responds and says, I feel like shit anyway. Well, then this won't matter. The LAPD is not calling the shots down here anymore. And then John says, feds, you got it. So it's, it's also a, a nice way to, to, to give off this information. You know, we, we saw before that the Johnsons showed up and we saw that they're starting to take control. But at this point, it's it's telling everyone definitively that, you know, the cops have no say whatsoever in anything that's going on here. We're just going to be dealing with, uh, you know, with Johnson and Johnson, Big Johnson, Little Johnson. And, right. you know, whatever they decide, that's what's going to be. And as he's saying this, we see a shot of Robinson and both Johnsons walking up a huge embankment, you know, which we can also see that we see Al's car, you know, still uh, hanging mm-hmm. there uh, up against the wall with the way that, yeah, I like uh, that. yeah it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's on the one thing it tells us the geographical location of things, you know, like from where they're standing, where his car, you know, went off, went off the embankment and stuff like that. And the fact that people are still moving around there. No one, no one's even tried to take this car off of the wall. You know, it's just funny seeing the angle of the car, the way that it's sitting there. Yeah, I mean, from a production stand, I mean, it's a great shot because, well, A, it's like a pan, right, which is interesting, like mm-hmm. a pan from the building to the uh, – and then, yeah, and like if you're – like I, I don't know how you probably know more, but like how many times has that shot been in the, been in the like that shot could have actually been from another time, right? No, they like this is they've never shown this shot before. Interesting, but they could have used it before. Like you know, it's interesting. They probably had it waiting for the perfect time. Like it's wait, you're seeing the shot, shot of yeah. having the car uh, yeah. leaning up against the the yeah. wall? No, they've never they yeah. haven't shown it since since it happened. They haven't shown it. So what did it look like? Did you ever see that car from that vantage point, that angle, or no? No, uh, only only when it when when it went off the embankment, and and from now we're we're seeing it from the right hand side. When it happened, we saw yeah. it from the left hand side. Yeah, interesting. So if you, you think know, about so, it, they shot that at a totally different time, right? They're not going to yeah. have that car there for long. <laughs> right. So like they they were really planning this shot for this scene. Or they didn't plan it for the scene. They planned it for another time, and they just inserted it here. It's interesting. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
No, but also, you know, I'm not I'm not going to right now go back and, and try and compare the angle of the car on both of these shots. You know, wondering if it's the exact same angle that they, you know, if they if they got it right <laughs> from yeah. when it went off the embankment. Yeah, the other so, shot, the shot um, of Al on the walkie right after that shot is an interesting shot, too, um, because it's a pretty untraditional shot in my mind because he's looking to the left, like you'd almost like want his face to be on the other side of the screen, on the right side, you know? Um, if you're, it is following the rule of thirds, you know, which is with his, the primary thing, but it's like almost like he, he's facing the wrong way or his face should be on the other side. It's you're talking about John, side. right? You're talking about John? No, I'm t no. I'm or you're talking about Hans. Oh, you're talking about Hans, Al. Yeah. Al, I'm talking about Al, yep. At um, right, it's second twenty-three. Yep, yep. Right, but but John is shown right before that, so we see John on the left. Yeah. Hand, we we see the shot of of the Johnsons and Robinson walking up, and, and it's funny looking at the way Robinson is walking behind them. He's you know he's he's walking as if he's like a uh, you know a little kid who's been scolded. You know he's he's mm -hmm. he's not really. It doesn't look like he's making much of an effort. You know, because right. he's no longer in charge, that type of thing. Yeah. You know, he's like, all right, yeah. I'll just follow these guys. That's what that's what I have to do here. You know, yeah. and then and then after that, we see John on the the left hand side of the screen, and then we see mm -hmm. right after that, um, Al, who's also on the left hand side, but he's facing the left side, as opposed to John, right. who's facing the right side. So I that that's what we're talking about. It's interesting but strange. Like I almost think he should be move to the right side of the screen still looking off to the left um okay but this minute every single shot of of al is on the left hand side where he's facing off to the left yeah so it's not just right there it's the, it's the right. this entire conversation is the yep. way that that, he, that he's doing this yeah right and then and then we get another shot of the three of the, the the you know the the three top guys walking up the, that embankment once again seeing the car you know, hanging on its side, and then the shot changes, and we see um, Hans, Theo, and Christoph all just sitting there looking at something. Yeah. You know, and and then Theo begins to talk, and he says, "All right, those are the city engineers. They're going into the street circuits. Uh, those guys in the suits, I don't know who they are." And then Hans responds, "That's the FBI. They're ordering the others to cut the building's power." Regular as clockwork. And then Theo says, or a time lock. And then Hans responds, precisely. The circuits that cannot be cut are cut automatically in response to a terrorist incident. You asked for miracles, Theo. I give you. And then he'll get cut off. We're going to have to wait until tomorrow to find out what he gives Theo. But he gives them something that will... Uh, Assuade this uh, possible miracle. You know, so let's let's go back a little bit to when we first see the three of them looking at this monitor. So we we have Christoph mm -hmm. in the back who has like these these goggles on his forehead. You know, we we've seen we saw before that that they were they were drilling. You know, so there were sparks and stuff like that. But it's just funny that he still has the goggles just sitting on his forehead like that. You know, this right. is a character who we don't see very often, and it's just funny to have him sit in the back there. With uh, you know, with 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 these goggles, just and he's also much further away from Theo and Hans, which establishes 
you know, he's pretty much low man on the totem pole here. Yeah. He looks yeah, like John Cusack, a young John Cusack there. Yes, there is there is a resemblance mm-hmm. there. And actually, if if you if you want to talk about real comparisons, so John Cusack was in um, Sixteen Candles, and uh-huh. he he and his friends, you know, when they were at the uh, when they're at the, the 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 party or the dance, so they actually had on goggles like this on their foreheads, didn't they? If I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, it it does time. he does have a resemblance there, you know. And and again, this only came out a few years later. This wasn't, you know, it wasn't a thirty year gap, thirty plus year gap. Yeah, so, right. That's funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now Hans also at when when he mentions that it's the FBI, he he has this like huge smile on his face because he now knows that his plan is nearly perfect. You know, he knew that this is what the feds were going to do, and they've done it. And since they've done it, uh, it works great for him. You know, he's he's he knows that that everything that he set up is going to help him get to where he needs to go. Right, like fed right into his hand. Yeah, completely right into the plan that he created. So he he mentions yep. the term clockwork. You know, it's it's uh, you know regular as clockwork. So, Dana, what do you know about clockworks? Like, how does a clock work? It's just very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's always the same, reliable, you know, you know what it's going to, I think that's what the expression means. I don't yeah, know no, for sure. That's what the expression means. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I was talking about the mechanics of how a clock would work. Do you know anything about that? Not really, no. Okay, so <laughs> the, the term clockwork. Here. I'm sorry? Gears, I don't know. Uh, yeah, Gears that's part coming. of it. Yeah, it's part of it. So clockwork refers to the inner workings of either mechanical devices called clocks or watches, where where it is also called the movement, or other mechanisms that work similarly using a series of gears driven by a spring or by a weight. Okay, a clockwork mechanism is often powered by a clockwork motor consisting of a mainspring, a spiral torsion spring of of metal uh, ribbon. Energy is stored in the mainspring manually by winding it up, turning a key attached to a racket, which twists the mainspring tighter. Then the force of the mainspring turns the clockwork gears until the stored energy is used up. The adjectives to wind up and spring-powered refer to mainspring-powered clockwork devices, which include clocks, watches, kitchen timers, music boxes, and wind-up toys. Okay, now, when do you think the first known example of a clockwork mechanism uh, was used? How how far back do you think this goes? You know, that someone was able to think of this idea of, you know, putting springs together and, and using gears in order to, to, to use something similar. 1827. No, it goes much back, much further back than that. It <laughs> actually, there's, there, there, there are, um, there is proof that it, that it actually started in the first century BC. Okay, that they used it for calculating astronomical, uh, sorry, uh, astronomical cool. positions and eclipses, and it was recovered from a, a Greek shipwreck. And they they found many other clockwork devices in ancient Greece. And the mechanism itself is sophisticated enough to indicate that a significant history of lesser devices leading up to this creation also existed. 
Okay, but for some reason in Europe, they forgot all about this this idea. And for centuries, nobody had anything that was that was some sort of clockwork or whatever until the the Islamic world uh, met up with the European world during the Crusades. And they actually it took them another few hundred years till clockwork was able to uh, reach the equivalent of the technological levels that they had back in Greece and Rome and things like that. All right, now apparently. If you if you look in the Bible, so uh, they talk about the fact that that Solomon, when he created the first temple, when he built the first temple in Jerusalem, so he he used this type of wisdom to design a throne that had mechanical animals, which would hail him as king as he ascended it. And when he would sit down, an eagle would place a crown on his neck, on his head, and a dove would bring him a a, a Torah scroll and things like that. So. It's it's really cool to, to think about the fact that you know there's that this is something that's hap that's going really really far back. Just the idea of being able to yeah. use this type of things. You know, in ancient China, there are things that that uh, that that there are tales of people being able to use uh, clockwork back then also and stuff like that. So Very yeah, cool. they, they have some, they have. Some I wonder really... when the expression when did the expression start? Yeah, that that I do not know. That I do not know. <laughs> When, I wonder. Yeah, because it, I, I, I guess, you know, uh, it probably was somewhat, you know, uh, probably after like the 14th century when it started becoming so prevalent, you know, I guess people would uh, start using, I don't know. So yeah. I mentioned that there, there are different types of, of, uh, of mechanisms that use it. So we have wind-up toys. We have uh, what are known as, uh, you know, leaf shutters. They they use clockwork mechanism uh, very similar to what you have in wristwatches in order to time the opening and closing of shutter blades. Okay, um, the the lens of the lighthouses, the old time lighthouses also before they use electric, where you would use uh, clockwork with them. Um, you have all these different mechanical calculations that they would use before they had computers. You know, computers were only really starting to be developed during World War II. So before that, they used mechanical calculators to to figure out all, all these different uh, complexities, you know, that nowadays we do with computers. Um, music boxes, as I mentioned before. Um, most uh, phonographs that were built before the 1930s used clockwork also. And then you have uh, clockwork radio. Which is an energy store has an energy storing spring accounting for much of the size and weight of the device, and it spins a much smaller electric generator. Such equipment is very popular where batteries and mains power are, are scarce. So you know it's the, the type of uh, it's a wind up clock basically. Mm. You know that type the that type of thing. And then Theo mentions the fact of a time lock. Okay, so do you know what a time lock is? No. Okay, it is a locking mechanism commonly found in bank vaults and other high security containers. And the, the time lock is basically a timer designed to prevent the opening of the safe or vault until it reaches the present time, even if the correct lock combinations are known. You know, the idea that, oh. okay, you can only open it at eight o'clock in the morning or whatever it is, right? They're usually mounted on the inside of a safe or a vault door. Um, there are usually three time locks on a particular door. The first one has to reach zero, 
and that allows access into the vault. And the other two are there for, for backup purposes, right? They were originally created to prevent criminals from kidnapping and torturing uh, the people who knew the combination and then using the extracted information to later, uh, you know, burgle the safe or vault. And it also would stop mm-hmm. entry of unauthorized people or even authorized staff at unauthorized times. Okay. Huh. In how far back do you think uh, the idea of a time lock in a bank goes? It's not as far back as the clockwork. Oh, I'll give you that hint. And you were close with your guess from before. 1811. 1875. You went a little too far back. There you go. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Now, um, apparently, there there was a bank robbery in uh, Great Barrington, Massachusetts. Oh, I've been there. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Were were you in the bank that was robbed? I don't remember being in a bank. There's a good right. movie theater there. There's a good restaurant there. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So mm-hmm. apparently, the you know, some Wouldn't bank it be robbers... funny if I saw Die Hard there? It would. It would really be yeah. funny. Yeah. I you... think I saw um, Runaway Bride there. Okay. That, that came out uh, 12 years after uh, Die Hard. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so um, basically, a gang of robbers took a family uh, of the banker hostage because they were demanding that he open the vault. And because they had installed a time lock in there uh, just a few days earlier, there, there was no way of them ever being able to get into the the vault in time. So they just gave up and, and left. Huh. Um, and obviously in this movie, we know that a time lock is very important to the, to the whole plot. <laughs> Which is which is why Theo uses that phrase because Theo is the one waiting for the time lock. You know, I'm I'm still confused about the fact that how does Hans know that this is the FBI's you know plan? Like, I don't think you, even even nowadays where we have the internet, you can't go into the internet and say, okay, um, I'd like to know what the FBI plan is when you're dealing with terrorists or something like that. Yeah, you know, it's not. It should well, be that common knowledge. Sophisticated of a terrorist that he knows because he's been so experienced. Yeah. Okay. I, I I guess that that's that's the best answer we can get anyway here because it's <laughs> it's, it's all conjecture conjecture anyway because we really don't yeah. know we we really don't know where Hans gets this information from. I mean, I'm I'm I still am a firm believer that Hans is the only one who knows the entire plan. None of the other uh, thieves or terrorists, however you want to refer to them, are really aware of every single aspect of it. I mean, here we have Theo, who's the computer guy. He didn't, you know, he wasn't told beforehand how they were going to open the seventh lock. You know, he was told, your job is to get through the six locks. Once you get through the six locks, we'll take care of the seventh lock. And, you know, if that was me, and again, I, I don't have a criminal mind, so maybe that's part of the problem. But if that was me and I was told, okay, you do the six locks and I'll take care of the seventh lock, I would be very curious to know what they're going to do with that seventh lock. And I wouldn't want to wait until the day of the heist to find out, you know, what, what what's going to happen. Because I would be concerned that, okay, it's not going to work. Right. So, you know, Theo has a lot of faith in Hans, you know, that he has a good plan, even though we, he doesn't know what it is. Right. 
so they 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 do this well the way that they uh you know and also uh, one of the things i love about this dialogue with what hans is doing hans is basically once again he's telling the the viewer his plan you know we didn't know how he was going to open the seven block but now he's explaining what it is that needed to be done in order to open up the seventh block you know they're not just visually showing it to us he's also i guess narrating it and explaining to us what it is that they're going to be doing right you know? so my my biggest question now is okay so hans theoretically knows what the fbi does in these type of situations okay and apparently that means the screenwriter seems to know that he also it seems to think he knows the answer to that too do you think people in the fbi then watched this movie and said oh i think we got to change our uh, uh change the way we do things <laughs> yeah you know oh how did yeah, how did they find I that think, out <laughs> well they seem to have their you know they're not that with it they're trying to create like a no i'm talking um, about the real fbi i'm not talking about the, the johnson oh, and johnson yeah, yeah no it's a, to, for, to me it's it's always it's always interesting to think about like how is real life affected by things that happen in movies and that are told in movies and stuff like that. Right. You know, because you, you, you know, when a screenwriter is writing something, they're going to be looking for some sort of flaw in order to, you know, help something take place in the story. But here, you know, when you're doing something like this, you know, it, it could be that the screenwriter just completely made this up. And it doesn't matter. And and the people in the FBI are sitting watching this movie, laughing, saying, "Huh, is that really what you guys think that we're going to do? We don't do that type of thing. We do something else." You know. Right. So I would think it's not based in reality that much. <laughs> no, probably not. It's probably not. But uh, yeah, you know. But then you know, again, when you get into shows like Homeland or other things that seem much more rooted in reality that you know then i i wonder but like less so on movies like this or right. um like we said we said yesterday olympus has fallen or you know things like that yeah it's true um and uh, you probably would appreciate this a lot i'm sure you noticed that when hans is talking at the end it's a really really it's it's we get a very big close-up shot you know, they, they really, they zoom in really well as he's talking and it lingers there. It stays really, really close. I mean, he is, his, his head doesn't even fit in the shot. It's so close, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, by, you know, what, what, what would be the point of zooming in so close, you know, from a director's perspective? I mean, I think it's much more immersive, you know, um, I'm trying to see how they get there. Yeah, so it's a shot they're using several times and then they zoom in on it. The same shot. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. What's he saying at that very moment? At that point, at that point he's saying um, you know, in response to a terrorist incident, you asked for miracles, Theo, I give you you know, he's basically explaining the whole the his whole idea here. That's what he's doing. Right. right. So that's why. You know, they're calling more attention minimizing any other distraction on the scene you know on the screen all you it's for focus and immersion is mm -hmm. what he's saying okay very cool all right so you have anything else you want to say about uh, this minute no i think it's a good one all right well so everything are there any are there of... any bad minutes in die hard come on 
No, not really. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> exactly. the credits. No, I'm just kidding. No, the credits are great. The credits are great. I'm just and I and I will have you back for the teasing. credits if you want. If you if you want, you are you are welcome to come back for some of the credits. <laughs> if you're available. Thank you. We'll see. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So the, the script again has a few little uh changes here. Not that many, but uh there's a few of them. So, you know, McLean uh heard Al's story and says, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make a joke out of it. So that part they cut out. And then Powell says, hey, you couldn't know. And McLean goes, I still feel like <laughs> As opposed to I feel like <laughs> You know, that's the difference. And then he mentions, Powell mentions the fact that the LAPD is not in, is not calling the shots anymore. And then we get McLean's reaction, but he doesn't mention that it's the feds. They never have that, that, that little interjection of McLean saying, feds, you got it. That, that they just completely cut out there. And then they have a shot of bad guys all sitting there listening. And in the movie, Theo's the one who says uh, our time lock, but the actual in the, the script it's Hans. Theo doesn't just say anything. Doesn't say anything. He just look, looks on as uh, Hans is mentioning it. So that, that's all we got for the uh, in the script. Every Tuesday we have a segment called Off the Beaten Track Holiday Edition, where my guest <laughs> will give a little story, anecdote, adventure, misadventure, something that happened to them over the course of life, uh, but something revolving around some sort of holiday. So what, what have you got for us, Dana? Gosh, well, there's so many options. But um, so for, let's see, 2019 and 2021, um, I've been shooting, a, I shot a movie um, in 2019, and then, um, it's called Dear Santa, uh, and we. Sh it's about all the letters. I've seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> it's about all the letters that get sent to Santa every year uh, that get put in the United States Postal Service and what happens to them. So, um, so we did a movie about letters in 2019, so we had to wait for all the letters to come in. So we had to shoot the entire movie basically between Thanksgiving and Christmas when all the letters uh, come in, and we shot them. So it was very, very crazy. Um, and so we shot all around America every day, basically between Thanksgiving and Christmas, um, following these letters and what happens to them. And it was really, really fun. And the better part of this is that I'm Jewish and so I don't celebrate Christmas, but I love Christmas. Um, and so my husband said, oh, not only do you get your fill of Christmas, but then after we shoot it, we get to work with the footage all year round. So, so we uh, shot it in 2019 when the um, pandemic happened, we were working on the film the entire you know, winter, spring, summer, really into the fall, and then it, it came out in the in December. And then last year we we were hired to do a series, the same thing. And so we've been working on that for the entire rest of the year. So now for like two years I've had Christmas every single day, listening to Christmas music, working on Christmas all the time. So that's it's a long story, but but basically we have Christmas all year round now, which I love. Oh wow. That's really cool. And, you know, I, I think, I guess the best part about it is that your family wasn't concerned about the fact that you weren't around for Christmas since you don't no. celebrate. It. <laughs> no, exactly. It's but, great. I mean, it's but how did, but how did that work? How did that work with everybody who was, you know, on, on in the crew? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it wasn't easy. So the first year, uh, 
we really had to find, I mean, we do have a lot of Jewish crew members. That's helpful. Um, but, you know, it gets hard. Jews in Hollywood? Come on. <laughs> it gets hard when, you know, it's okay to do it for maybe for one year for some of them, but then at now it's going on and we're waiting to find out if we're going to be doing a second season. So, uh, you know, my business partner, she has three young children and, you know, it's tough. One thing that happened the first year we realized was, a lot less happens actually on Christmas than you think, because usually everything was fine up until Christmas Eve. And then it became like you had to really call in some favors to have people shooting on Christmas Eve. Um, but most of the story was finished by Christmas Eve. Um, so that was good. So last year, I don't even think we shot on Christmas Day. The year before we did, we shot uh, in in Times Square on Christmas, uh, which was fun. Um, and Christmas Eve, we did somewhere else. Um, but sometimes we have like five crews going in different cities and different places, uh, shooting all at once. So it's, it's pretty exciting. Wow. That's really very cool. festive. Very festive. Yes. Very festive. <laughs> yes. Festivist for the rest of us, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because I've never had Christmas lights, obviously. I've never bought any, but now in my attic, I have a treasure because everywhere we go, we bring Christmas lights and we string them up behind all of our shots. So like, it looks uh, like double down. And you have to keep them in your house. I do have them in my house <laughs> right now. They're not all here. I mean, cause we have, we, we stash them in New York. I'm in California. We stash them in New York. We stash them in Chicago. So we have them all around the country. So we don't have to be schlepping them everywhere we go. Um, so, but I do have quite a lot of Christmas decorations now. I borrow them too from, from friends who have too many. Um, so yeah, we, we have a lot. Oh, wow. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. All right. And unfortunately, since you're not going to be able to, to join us again tomorrow, so I decided that I'll, I'll let you do your, uh, your, your uh, Hans hump day today, you know, the tomorrow segment, which we, okay. we usually, which we'll do with another guest again tomorrow, but uh, you know, we'll still do the segment today where you'll give us your top five uh, Alan Rickman performances. Okay. So well, what, I'm going to change it. I'm going to change it up a little because, you know, in looking through all his IMDb, I'm like, it's been so long since I've seen them, but arguably my favorite movie of all time, like I just had mentioned, I'm obsessed with Christmas. And so like my top two movies in general are Love Actually, which I know is very controversial for a lot of people and um, Serendipity, but he was in Love I Actually. I love so Serendipity. Oh, wow. I love that movie. Oh yeah, you should do, if you do Serendipity, I can do the entire minute, the entire thing. I can go through every minute. I, I don't, well, let's put it this way. I know you and I don't think you're going to have time to do this every <laughs> week for for like five months. I, I you know, I, I would love yeah. to do that with you, but I, I know but you. But I know, and... I know a lot about that every minute. Anyway, <laughs> um, so in Love Act, I'm going to, instead of doing the top five movies, I'm going to do the, my top five scenes in Love Actually with him. Okay, um, you can cheat. You can cheat. <laughs> so, Wait a second. One second. Before before we get there, so so basically, you're saying that that Love Actually is the only movie that you love that that you think uh, Alan Rickman has a great performance in, or there is there another one somewhere? No, I don't know. I mean, I have to just rewatch. Like, I just can't speak on them. I mean, and I what about this movie he... that we're talking about today? Uh oh yeah 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 no. <laughs> okay, oh, so thought, how would you rank? No, you were, you were, you were. So, so how would you rank those two? Love his performance in Love Actually and his performance in in Die Hard. Just those two. His, his performance was really great in this. I'd say probably this is better because he's so sinister. Um, but it's more of like a one note 
performance in that I don't mean that in a bad way I just mean that he's a villain um and so villains are very like you know not as nuanced to play I would say um whereas in Love Actually he um is just like really flawed um and he's taken along for this ride I it feels like by the secretary and so like you know but yet he plays a really good boss to Laura Linney's character um you know, and so I think it's a little bit more layered in Love Actually um, than this, but this is a great performance as well. So you would, so you would, you would put uh, Love Actually first, and then, and then the second. Yes. Okay, that's fine. That's fair. Yeah. Okay, so now you can give us your your top five uh, Alan Rickman scenes in okay. Love Actually. Start with okay. number five and work your way up. All right, but now I read a note and I don't remember what the note was. Okay, so I say my last, let's see. Um, I say the fifth one is like when he first, first kind of interacts with his secretary. So he's kind of like taken in by her. He's sort of like dorky, um, but yet intri intrigued. Um, I would say like dancing with his secretary uh, is for, um i'm trying to i don't remember what i wrote this for like, let me come back to three so i have to figure out what that, that is the laura linney scene where he's kind of like saying that you know everybody knows you're in love with um whatever the engineer's name is um like come on just get on with it he's like the loving kind of older brother slash boss um and the number one by far is him at the um uh with Mr. Bean at the um at the at the department store when uh he's um he's the clerk is wrapping up the necklace and he's taking so long and making it perfect but he's worried his wife is going to come um and so he's he's very very like let's just get it done let's get it done what are you going to put yogurt on top of it it's very funny uh oh and, I, and the, the number three i figured out what number three was is the coming home scene at the very end when he comes back to heathrow um and so like i love that scene because he comes in he sort of it's a very calm you know subtle performance um but you're wondering the fact that he's back does that mean they're separated and he's back or like that they're together and he's back and you can't tell so it's it's, it's a very subtle performance mm. okay great very good thank you very much for that dana thank you for <laughs> for, for 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 going out of the box there you go <laughs> no problem so, no problem so how would you uh how, how do you want how so why don't you tell people how they can get in touch with you Sure, this one always gets me. It's harder than I think. But anyway, I guess DanaNachman.com. Well, because you don't um, usually contact yourself. So that, that makes sense. It's the idea. Know, it's right? the same idea that sometimes people ask you what your phone number is, and you won't necessarily remember what your own phone number is because you don't call it. That's true. Um, I'd say DanaNachman.com is the best. Um, or you can find me on Instagram. I think it's just Dana.Nachman. Okay, great. Yeah. And Finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Your Out Minute. You can find me on Facebook, find me on Twitter, or you can find me on my website, moveyourminute.com. So, Dana, thank you very much for joining me uh, yesterday and today. Uh, I'm sorry that uh, your busy schedule won't let you uh, come back the rest of the week. We'll, we'll try well, to find someone to do justice, you know, in your place during that time. But but hopefully, you know, when, when I decide what, what I'm going to do next season, hopefully – you know, you'll, you'll be willing to, to come back and, and talk about another movie 
it it probably won't be serendipity. We'll we'll see. I'll still I'm still debating what I'm gonna do. I'll uh, you know oh, when good. when I know I will let, I will inform you and hopefully you'll be able to you know maybe you'll even get a, get enough time to to join us all week. We'll see. Yes, sounds good. Excellent. Well, thank right. you for having me. No problem. So thank you very much, Dana. And until tomorrow, yippee ki yay. Yippee ki yay.